Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. When asking God, if there is a God for a miracle, who actually continue to take every step possible, how many times have I met prophets, a person who said, I want to get married? That he, he would go out and send his son. No, I'm waiting for God to bring them to his given. Go out on a date. He was he said lovingly. The son, when we the look son at the story of, of Christmas, if that's it true, what would you expect to happen? If that was being fulfilled, if that was to be fulfilled, if this is God, you would expect some weird and strange things to be happening. Like 600 men on camels turning up at the birth of his son. That would not be unusual. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for an unexpected Christmas. I want to show you how people who were very familiar with God, familiar with His Word, were still caught off guard. And they, they were really caught off guard in an unexpected way because they didn't realise that God was going to answer their prayer, but not in the way they thought. And I think there's some lessons for us to learn. But if we can read the Christmas stories in the Gospels with fresh eyes, we might come to realise they didn't see most of this coming at all. So would you join me in prayer? Father, I pray that as we look at your word now, you would speak to our heart. Lord, our hearts are already filled with joy just at the thought that we know what you did on that very first Christmas day. And we thank you, Lord, that you have sent the Saviour into your world to save all people who will turn to your son now, the Christmas child. And so, Father, I pray, Speak to us now. May your word come alive to us and may everyone receive the gift of encouragement from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke, the physician, was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. He was someone who was very thorough in his research, as he tells us in the opening verse of his gospel. We're going to start in his opening chapter and we're going to jump down to verse 5. And there we're going to be introduced to one of the characters that none of the other gospel writers tell us about. He's going to introduce a character by the name of Zechariah. Let's have a look now. Zechariah is, is a priest and we're going to find that out and a little bit more about him. And then we're going to reflect on why he occurs in this story. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So straight away, we know something about Zechariah and we know something about his wife. We know that they were good people. We know that they were, it says here, blameless. But we also know something about Zechariah, as it will become obvious in a moment. He was a man of prayer. In fact, prayer is going to be one of the themes of the Gospel of Luke. He will emphasize it where the other Gospel writers don't. Prayer is a very human response to desperate times, desperate need. And Zechariah is actually a very desperate man. For years and years that rolled into decade upon decade, he was desperate for God to answer his prayer, as we will discover in verse 7, sets it up. It starts off with this word, but. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So now we get a clue that something's happened here. You see, in that culture, when a woman could not conceive, it was considered to be a curse from God. 
it was considered to be that God was punishing that woman for some reason. It brought shame and reproach upon a woman. And so you can see that right there how Zechariah must have been feeling for his wife because of course, well, if she can't conceive, maybe God's judging Zechariah for this. So both of them had felt this shame of not being able to have a child. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So incense burning is associated in scripture with prayer. It represents prayer. We read in the book of Revelation that heaven was, was filled with incense as the, the saints of God, the people of God on earth were praying. As the priest Zechariah was burning incense, notice what the people outside were doing at this ceremonial burning of the incense. It goes on, verse 10, And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now we're going to be introduced to an archangel. Ark means a leader, a ruler someone who comes from ancient times. So Gabriel, he will identify himself, has been around for a long time. But Archangel, a ruling angel. In Jewish tradition, Gabriel is one of seven of the Archangels. And we see another Archangel who's mentioned in Daniel chapter 10, where Gabriel is also mentioned, again, in response to prayer. And so when Daniel began to pray, Gabriel appears to him and he says, I, I was sent to you straight away, the moment to tell you your prayer will be answered, but I was withstood by the prince of Persia, which was a spirit being. But Michael, your, your prince, the prince of your people, who was an archangel as well, came to my aid. That's what we read in Daniel chapter 10. So here's Gabriel. So we know that he is not just a, a messenger angel, he is, a, a, he is up right up in the, in the category of, of angels because no wonder Zechariah would have seen him and been terrified because in the spirit realm, Gabriel was also a warrior angel. He was someone who combated the forces of evil. And we see that in Daniel chapter 10 where it's mentioned. We also see it in Revelation chapter 12 where Michael the archangel is doing, it says that he did battle with the devil and his uh, angels in a heavenly realm. So here, Zechariah is, is in, he's terrified by the appearance of Gabriel. But let's read what happens. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now, I don't know how you would have responded if this was you in, in the place of Zechariah, but I can well imagine Zechariah was praying for this prayer to be answered shortly after it became obvious that Elizabeth hadn't been able to conceive. Now, if he had married at an age that probably most priests would have married by around about the age of 20 to 25 or so, Zechariah is now, it says, advanced in years. So perhaps he's, he's upwards of 60 or so. And so we see that he's been praying for some 40 or so years for this prayer to be answered. 
I'm, I'm not sure how you would have responded to Gabriel. I might have responded with something like, bit late, you, you could have come 40 years ago, but this is not how the exchange goes. And so we, we read, uh, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now that wasn't expected. Firstly, Zechariah, it appears, had been expecting God to answer his prayer shortly after he began praying. And here on, on this occasion, as Luke sets up the Christmas story, he wants us to know that Chris, this Christmas story is going to be a story punctuated by the unexpected. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So that's unexpected. So this is, I hope you can see this. This is just prayer is prayed. It, there's an expectation that God will answer it in a certain way. And all of these, all of these facts are, are pointing to the fact that this is completely unexpected to what uh, Zechariah had hoped for. We go on even from his mother's womb. Verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So in one sense, if Zechariah was familiar with the last, what we call the last book of the Old Covenant, which is the book of Malachi, he would have read that. He would have seen that this was a promise given in the closing a chapter of Malachi that God would send forth someone in the, in the spirit of Elijah who would do exactly this. This is really a citation from the book of Malachi. Now, this is an important point that I want that I want to draw out here. That sometimes when we read scripture, we don't read scripture. We read into scripture what we hope it says or what we wanted to say. Maybe Zechariah had been doing that. Don't know, but he didn't accept what Gabriel had. To say, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. It seems like Gabriel is upset <laughs> that Zechariah didn't believe him. It seems that he is now pointing out this is the word of the Lord. Now, this is the other thing I want you to see. There is a teaching that says whenever you receive a word of prophecy, you have to combine it with faith. You have to accept it and combine it with faith in order for it to be fulfilled. What I want you to see is a principle that occurs all through Scripture. God's word is declared. People don't believe it, but God's word is fulfilled. So notice this. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So you see that the reception of Zechariah was, I don't believe it. How can that be? I'm old. My wife's old. What you're saying just cannot be true. But what we see is that it was. It actually was fulfilled. So there's, there's a, a point I think we really need to understand. That God's word being fulfilled is not dependent upon you mustering up the kind of faith that, that some people teach that you have to have in order to see God's word come true. 
verse 23, and it says, And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. So his time of service would have been the seven days that a priest was required to serve in the temple. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. I, I, I don't want to press the point um, too impolitely, but when his time of serving in the temple was up, he went back home to Elizabeth and something would have happened with Elizabeth and Zechariah in order for the word of the Lord to be fulfilled. Now, the, the, the point here I really want to draw out is he's, he's being chastised by Gabriel for not believing the word of the Lord. He's given some kind of sign. You'll be mute. You won't be able to speak until this is fulfilled. But he goes and he acts on the word of the Lord. I think we need to understand that Jesus told a parable about this. Later on, he told the parable of the, the two sons who were asked by their father, go into the vineyard and work. One said, yes, I will. One said, no, I won't. But the one who said, no, I won't, later regretted that and, and went and worked in the vineyard. And Jesus asked the question, which one obeyed his father? The one who said he would obey or the one who actually obeyed? And of course, it was the one who actually obeyed. In this instance, Zechariah is actually acting on the word of the Lord. He's gone home. He has slept with his wife Elizabeth, as husband and wife do, and she's conceived. So with that in mind, we, we read on, And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Verse 26. And now we're going to be introduced to Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. I just want to point out for there are some people who are very critical of the Bible because they, they, can't, they can't accept a statement like that, that, they went to, that the angel Gabriel went to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Because if you know anything about the history back in the first century, Nazareth was, was not a big place. But here's why in Greek uh, it's called a city. There was no Greek word for town. You're either a city or you're a village. So in one sense, if you use an English translation that, that the translators feel to take that Greek word, which, which is ordinarily translated city, and it renders it town, they're probably letting you know something. Nazareth was not a big place. But here, this is where Mary resides. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and, and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. Now this is a, a similar reaction that it seems that Zechariah had when he encountered the, the prophet Gabriel, he was terrified, just terrified. And, and here we have Mary. She's, she's taken back as well. But notice what, what Gabriel does. He said the same thing to Daniel. Daniel was a righteous man. And when he saw Gabriel, he fell um, to, to, to the ground as if all energy had been taken from him, he says. But here we have the word of the Lord again to Mary. Don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, Verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus. 
he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Okay, so here we have Gabriel declaring what I suspect Mary was probably familiar with, being a, a good, uh, faithful, blameless Jew, because what he's done is he has cited the scripture. There are scriptures we read in 1 Samuel chapter 7, we read in uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, we, we read the passages where God had already declared through the prophets that he would send someone in the line of David who would be king in the line of David's kingly line, who would re-establish his kingdom. Now, what were the people expecting? They were probably expecting that this king, the Christ child, the Christmas child, would be the one who would conquer the Romans and deliver them and set up a kingdom, as it says here, that will have no end, as if it would bring in some new kind of physical set of physical laws. They were expecting something because they were reading something into Scripture rather than reading Scripture. So let's notice what, what goes on here. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So she understood clearly what he was saying. It's not what was said to Zechariah. You and your wife will conceive and bear a child. Now here he's saying to Mary, you will conceive and bear a child. There's no mention of a man. And that's why she questions it. How can I? I'm a virgin. And this is where the angel gives her the response um, where he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Now, we might miss the significance of that because if this was a child born out of wedlock in that culture, that child would not be called holy. That child would be called something else. But here, that child will be called holy, she's told. So it tells, it's telling Mary, this is going to be a miracle. God is going to do something in you that is absolutely miraculous. He will be called holy, the son, the son, not a son, the son of God. Now, the next verse is, is I think, very special. We have Zechariah's response of, I can't believe it. I, I, I don't believe anything you're saying. It can't be right. But he acts on it anyway. And he would have discovered that it was right. And probably, well, if you read on in the story, we, we see that when John was actually born, his, his tongue was set free and he, he could speak again. So it shows that he finally came to realise that what Gabriel said was true. But here's Mary. She's, she's in awe of what's happening here. And she's not filled with unbelief, but she is filled with wonder. How can this be? See, Mary would have probably been about 15 years of age. This is a big deal what's happening here. And so the, the angel Gabriel says something I think very, very sweet to her. And this is, this is what he says. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now notice Mary's response. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, that, that's, that just happens to be coincidental. In other words, 
because she said those words is not the reason why God fulfilled his word. But what a nice response. What a beautiful response to accept the word of the Lord. Just to point out, this was God doing something in Mary. It wasn't because of Mary's righteousness at all. Because in a moment, we're going to read in verse 47 that she says God is her saviour. The only people that need a saviour are people who have sinned. So Mary's acknowledging she's not perfect, but God had chosen her because he was a God of grace. So we read now into chapter 2 of uh, Luke's Christmas story, and he, he starts off with an amazing historical detail that, is, that has actually caused some people to wonder, did this actually happen? But he gives it in such detail that we now know that indeed there was something that went on. There was a census that went on that, that is uh, noted historically. And, and he refers to it here. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a in, I'll just say stone manger. I'll come back to that in a moment. Because there was no place for them in the inn. And that word in might conjure up something that may be not as fancy as what you may imagine that word to mean. Luke's going to give us these examples of how Mary was told, you can verify, Gabriel would have said, you can verify what I'm saying by going to your relative, Elizabeth, because I'm telling you, Elizabeth, the one who is barren and old, is now six months pregnant. She goes there. She meets with Elizabeth and we read in Luke chapter 1 that the moment Mary walked in, it's, it, Mary, Elizabeth says, the baby within me leapt for joy and, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's an amazing encounter. I don't want to labor that point, but it, again, just the, the point I want to bring out is that they're expecting something, they've got something else. And here the shepherds, who perhaps they, like all good covenant-keeping Jews were expecting the Messiah not to be born in a stable, not to be born where, where cattle uh, feed out of, but angels appear to them. We read from verses 8 down to verse 15 where the angels go away and the shepherds now go to the stable to verify what the angels have said to them. So this is again verification and Luke does this all through. It's a very human thing. Give me proof. Luke says, here's their proof. They went there and they found that the stable was exactly how the angel had described it. I think I've got three things that I think we learn from this Christmas story, the arrival of the Christ. And it starts, according to Luke, with Zechariah. He's telling us something. Zechariah was someone who was praying for something and he was expecting something. What he was praying for was actually going to be answered rather dramatically, but not at the time. Not at the time he wanted it answered. So here's the, the first thing that I would say that we learn from this, this beautiful Christmas story. If you're praying for something, if you're praying for God's word and God's will to be fulfilled in whatever context, whatever situation you find yourself in, don't give up. 
keep praying, keep praying. I heard the story the other week of um, a sister-in-law who was praying for her brother-in-law who had gone into a really shocking lifestyle and he, he was miles away from God. But whenever he came back to back to uh, back home into that town, she would catch up with him and just see how he was going. Didn't tell him that she was praying for him, but she was. It wasn't until after he had a dramatic encounter with the Lord, where he came to Christ and his lifestyle was completely changed, that they caught up again. And she said, "You know, I've been praying for you, Acts twenty-six verse eighteen, every day for the last twenty years, that God would do that in you." amazing so here's my first point Zechariah was praying he kept praying but somewhere along the line he lost heart because God hadn't answered his prayer the way he had expected here's my second point pray for God's will to be done pray for God's word and God's will to be done but be open to how God might answer that prayer just be open and here's my third point as we reflect on the Christ child let's pray that we can read God's word not read into God's word. It's when we read into God's word that we set ourselves up for disappointment and that we end up expecting the wrong things to happen. So here's what we see in this setup to the Christmas story that Luke is telling us. God's miracles are often a synergy with our natural efforts. In fact, um, Phil Hills says, and says it a lot, when you're praying for a miracle, Always take every possible natural step to get there. It only became apparent over the passage of time why it took God seemingly so long to answer their prayers. And I suggest that it all made sense after the event. We could see that this birth had to be a miraculous birth because it was the basis upon which Mary would have Gabriel's word confirmed to her. That's the first reason God delayed. Secondly, it was necessary because Mary comes to both, both Elizabeth and Zechariah, Elizabeth her cousin, and she was safeguarded there for several months. And by going there, coming with a claim, you're not going to believe this, Elizabeth, Gabriel the angel appeared to me and said I was going to conceive without ever having intimate relations with a man. You're not going to believe it. And Elizabeth said, actually, Mary, I believe it, she would say. So she was, Mary was safeguarded in an environment where people accepted what she was saying, which wouldn't have happened if God had answered Zechariah's prayers years earlier. So what do we learn from these events? The events leading up to Christmas. Number one. When asking God for a miracle, continue to take every step possible. How many times have I met a person who said, I want to get married? Do you go out and meet people? No, I'm waiting for God to bring them to me. Go out on a date. He said lovingly. Number two, when praying according to God's will, Keep trusting God and keep persisting in prayer. That's why the setup to Christmas was completely unexpected, but as I hope I've demonstrated, looking back on it from our perspective, we can see 
It all made sense. The unexpected Christmas. Let me pray. Father, maybe there are people here who think you're not very close because they've prayed and you haven't answered. But Lord, there is a prayer that you guarantee to answer and answer immediately. It's the prayer of surrender. The prayer that says, Jesus, come into my life. Have your way in my life. God, it's that prayer that you guarantee to answer beginning immediately when people pray it. Father, there are those who are longing for a miracle. They need something from you. The situation for them looks bleak. But Lord, I pray that they will take every possible step toward the fulfillment of their desire. And now, Lord, I pray on this Christmas day that we would indeed remember the Christ child, the one that you have sent, as Karen said, as the ultimate gift of God to mankind. A gift we didn't earn, a gift we didn't deserve, a gift that you have given freely and you invite us to receive. So Father, I pray on this day, may we all experience the joy of Christmas in Jesus' name. So let's be a people who pray and ask God to have his way in us, in our family and in our church. That's all we have time for tonight. If you'd like to obtain a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, then please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org and select An Unexpected Christmas from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, God's miracles are often in synergy with our natural efforts. Perhaps that's what you needed to hear to encourage you to move forward with God, to see Him work in your own life. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.